If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 4. We want to pick up our study in verse 23 through 37. Peter and John are arrested. We're going to look at part 3 as, as we close up the chapter. We come to the conclusion now in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John has, have been arrested, and we've been asking the question, why? Basically, because a man over 40 years old uh, who was lame from birth was accustomed uh, to being seen by many there in Jerusalem, those especially that frequented the temple. You could easily find this man uh, begging for alms at the entrance of the gate beautiful, one of the many gates uh, that led you into the temple. I want you to turn back uh, to Acts chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 10. Just leading in to our final teaching of Peter and John arrested. Notice that it begins here in Acts 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was called the ninth hour. They didn't go up for sacrifice, but they went up for prayer. Because Jesus is the complete Lamb of God now. They went up for prayer at 3 p.m. That's the ninth hour. In verse 2, it goes on, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate temple, which is called the gate beautiful, to ask for alms from those who entered the temple. In verse 3, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms? And fixing his eyes on him uh, with John, Peter said, Look at us, for he gave them his attention, expecting to receive uh, something from them. Usually you handed them a shekel or you handed them two shekels, and it was part of the Levitical law. You were to take care of, of the, those that were maimed and lame and those that were poor. In verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. And here's the key. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, uh, stood and walked, and he entered the temple with them. And, and here's another key that he was healed. Walking, leaping, and praising God. I mean, he was literally having a hallelujah party. In verse 9, and the people saw, saw him walking and praising God, and then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder. They were filled with amazement at what had happened to this man. And this is the whole purpose that they've been arrested. And we know last week, the best thing that the religious group could do, they had Peter and John in a makeshift court of law, and they told them, we threaten you, do not speak in the name. And they couldn't even say it. They did not want them to speak in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Something is happening there in Jerusalem. And for this, Peter has been arrested, John has been arrested, and they stood before this religious group. Uh, we know that it was the Sanhedrin, the 71 elect of Israel. The majority of them that were there were the Sadducees. 
They were forbidden to speak. They were forbidden to preach any further in this name. We were making comparisons last week, and it's really spoken to my heart as a preacher, as a pastor, as a teacher of God's word. What has Pastor Saeed been going through for the last two and a half years? Because of starting up two orphanages, he was on his third orphanage, and they arrested him. And he's been incarcerated ever since. And they moved him from one particular uh, prison there in Iran, and then they took him to what everybody is telling us is the worst prison in Iran. In fact, most prisoners do not come back. They usually die there. And yet God has sustained this man. And so when we go through our trials, and this is the first persecution of the church, the church is already on the move. We estimate at least 5,000 plus are part of the church already. But it's not without trial. It's not without being agitated somehow, some way. Again, we make reference last week to the Smyrna church. As you study the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, there in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends an exact letter to each one of them, a particular letter to each church. To the Smyrna church, they were considered uh, the church in persecution. And as you look at the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, they were actual churches then, but they are still churches throughout the church age. The last 2,000 years, there's always been a persecuted church. There's a persecuted church right now. In the Middle East, it's not easy to be a Christian. It could mean death. And in China, in Asia, it's not easy to be a Christian. It could mean death. In India, gospel for Asia is blooming. But it's not without trial. It's not without death. And so here's Peter and John now. And they've been asked the best thing they could do, uh, the religious sect, is to threaten them. And so let's pick up our study now. Peter and John go back to their friends and family, and, and we don't know how many people are there. Some of the disciples were just going to give it that. And there's a time of prayer, a prayer for boldness. Look at verse 23. And being let go, this is Peter and John. They, they couldn't do anything to them. They let them go. They went to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. The religious group could do nothing but the threats that we read in verse 21. Then Peter and John returned to share with their disciples or the disciples of Jesus uh, the ordeal concerning the chief priests and the elders of Israel. Concerning this threat, they threatened us. Now, when you come back with reports like that, you're part of the discipleship program. You begin to think, well, what about us? What about us? They crucified Jesus, and, and now Peter and John that are the spokesmen of, of our group, they've taken them. Are we next? Notice in verse 24, uh, so when they heard uh, that they raised their voices to God, they're not angry, they're not frustrated. Uh, they, they believe it's been answered prayer now. 
they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in there. In other words, giving God the glory and showing his majesty, showing his power. You are creation. And we should not be startled uh, by the trial, the tribulation, the hardship, the pain. And they're rejoicing that Peter and John have been released. Uh, this is such a joy. I can't imagine. Remember, we spoke about uh, the man that's healed. He's leaping and praising God. Now the rest of the team, I'm sure this man is there with them. But I want you to see here in verse 24, uh, the phrase, they raised their voices to God in one accord, meant that they all prayed and they praised God in one accord in victory. And the word in one accord means to be in one uh, in, in, in body, in spirit, and in soul. One in mind, one in heart. I mean, they were together on this thing. I want you to write down this verse. It goes with it. You have a chance to go back and study Psalm 133. And in Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. And here's this one accord. In unity, in unity, one mind in prayer. They were one mind in praising to God. I mean, there's no disagreements. There's no arguments. There's no fear. Are they going to take us in? Are we going to be threatened like our brothers Peter and John? They're not even thinking of the future. There are going to be some great persecution coming. But this is the early church, and God was preparing the early church. They begin to pray. And I want you to take this to heart this morning. A lot of times people startle themselves when they come to prayer. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? How should I act? What should I ask for? Prayer is conversation between you and God. I like what Peter does here, and we can use the format. If you're struggling in your prayer, go to the Psalms and pray through with the Psalms. As the psalmist brings out, then follow him in prayer, and you'll just see the importance of prayer. And that's exactly what Peter does here. Uh, he takes them to Psalm, Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. But if you go through the psalm, it's not a long psalm, but notice the two verses go together. In verse 25 and 26, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth uh, took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. I like that. And so Peter's quoting pervadum, Psalm 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. And I like the caption in this psalm, the Messiah's triumph and kingdom. And so let's begin with verse 1 in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Verse 2 says, and the kings of the earth set themselves 
And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying in verse 3, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Exactly what the religious leaders are doing uh, to Peter and John. Because they are God's anointed. And so Acts chapter 4 verses 25 and 26 give us a beautiful picture of Psalm 2. It relates uh, to Jesus Christ and, and predicts the vain attempts made by the Jewish religious group the pagan group, which would have been the Romans, to suppress Christianity. It's nothing new, church. Right now, in our 21st century, we see great oppression, great strategy against the church, the body of Christ. There is so much going on which is trying to suppress Christianity. It's been going on for the last 2,000 years, but it, it's so evident today. There are Christians dying in a daily basis, unheard of. You say, oh, that happened in the uh, first century church. Yes, but it's happening even so today. It's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would have said. This was the beginning of a long road of persecution of the church. We're going to deal more with it. Look at verse 27 now. Let's go back to our text. For truly against your holy servant. Now, if you have a King James, it says son. For truly against your holy son, Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate now, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. And so Peter gives this testimony uh, to the brethren. He's praying, making reference to the prophecy of Psalm 2. As we dealt with verses 26, 25 and 26. But notice here in verse 27, the Father had graciously anointed his son. I like that the King James puts his son. And what is Christ but your servant? Your servant. He both came against Jesus, Herod, Pontius Pilate. Herod's the king. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea. The Gentiles, which are the Romans, they hated him. His own people, Israel, tried to crucify him, and they did. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, in the triumphal entry a week later, crucify him. The fickleness of man's heart. And so here's Peter bringing this back. The disciples would have known. They would have identified with this. <laughs> Notice as he continues in, in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determine before to be done. And so here is a mouthful of prophecy in verses 27 and 28. Remember, this is what Peter is praying before uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ. He prays, Lord, everything they did was determined. I want you to see that. Was determined beforehand. A 
according to your will. Everything that happens in my life, everything that happens in your life, listen to me, is a divine appointment. Wait a minute, Pastor Bob. You mean good and bad? Yes, good and bad. Does God know Pastor Saeed is in this prison? He's in the worst prison that people say nobody comes out alive? Yes, he does. What is Saeed doing? But he's being an effective witness for Christ. He's spoken to a lot of hearts. I know he's spoken to my heart. Peter and John are arrested. Uh, the rest of the group, I don't know how many were there, but they're waiting. You know they had been praying. And now Peter comes rejoicing, and Peter comes with a good report. Yeah, they try to threaten us, but we're praising God. What about this lame man? He's praising God. And so the prayer now is going to turn into a prayer for boldness. Now, I shared this right now. Everything they did was determined beforehand according to God's will. Again, I remind you, we don't go around when we pray. We don't go wrong, excuse me. We don't go wrong when we pray God's will. I know what Bob wants. I believe you know what you want. But Lord, what is it that you want in my life? I want God's will. I want God's will because my will will get me in trouble. Peter and John and the other disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how this boldness comes to be. They could not have this boldness. Peter was not bold when uh, they declared three times, you're with this man, you're that Galilean. Peter kept saying, no, no, no. He denied the Lord three times, and then the rooster crowed. But now he speaks with boldness. Uh, look at verse 29. Now, Lord, look on, on their hearts. And so he's speaking about the Sanhedrin. And, and you know, Peter's still praying here. And grant uh, your servants that with all boldness, he goes back to boldness. He says they, that they may speak your word. That they may speak your word. Real quick, go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 again. And just a portion of it. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come, uh, one of the effects, you would be my witness, Jesus said, here in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Remember we had shared previously many times to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have this dunamis power. The word power is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamics, where we get our English word dynamite. And so we're speaking about something explosive that happens to me, something explosive that happens to you when the Holy Spirit truly comes upon you. And there's various translations here on the word dunamis. That God gives us this power. It's called divine power. I mean, I can go to the local gym and, and work out, and I can bench press, whatever it might be, and we can boast of it with the guys or the girls or whatever. And some of the girls that work out now, holy mackerel, they can lift a lot more than I could ever. But that's not the power he's speaking of. All right, Jesus, look at this Buick here. One, two, three. Now. It's not the power he's speaking of. 
But he's talking about divine power. Uh, the word power, he's speaking about ability. Uh, the word power, he's speaking about strength. Uh, the word power, and here's a good one. He speaks about enabling. He enables me to speak forth. He enables me to be an effective witness. Uh, here's another word. The word power uh, speaks of having boldness. Having boldness. Somebody at work asks you, hey, I heard you're going to church. Is that true? You turn around. Yes, I am. And then you begin to share Christ. And then you begin to invite them. I mean, it's a domino effect when the Spirit of God takes over you. Here's another uh, sequence I see in having power. God gives you faith through this power. He builds your faith. The Bible says faith that we can move mountains. Mustard seed faith that we can just believe that God's going to do it. And so here's Peter and John. Uh, this power is in them, obviously. But you're going to see something. They pray again for the power. They pray again for the power. Look at verse 30. By stretching out your hand, he's still praying, speaking about God, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done uh, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now the prayer continues here in verse 30. Lord, stretch out your hand, extend your hand uh, to heal, that miracle signs and wonders may be done in and through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Uh, church, that's why in last week's teaching, in verse 17, all it was about, the worst they can do was to threaten them. In verse 21, the worst they could do is threaten them. And Peter and John, at this point, Peter especially, it's like, you know, water just rolling off. It's not effective anymore. And we're going to find later on when we get to Acts chapter 5, uh, the technique of not only threatening them, but now they're going to beat them. And again, the persecution just continues. But how do you hold back no matter who threatens you? Notice in verse 30, I love that Peter includes in his prayer, you're speaking, he's speaking of, the your is speaking of the Father. He calls Jesus, uh, Father, the Holy Servant. Here in the chapel we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. We pray for healing. We pray in the name of Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. Remember we shared the threefold ministry of Christ, preaching and teaching and healing. All of you have been the subject of being preached to at one time or another. All of you have been the subject of, uh, of being taught one time or another. And, and listen to this. If you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you're part of the healing ministry. God's healed you. You were dead. I was dead. And he healed us. We, we've come to life now. But some of us have taken on physical healings, mental healings, spiritual healings. He is Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. And we pray in Jesus' name. 
and we pray in Jesus' name of Nazareth. Peter's bringing this forth. Being an eyewitness, being a testimony, and now he goes back to the group. They knew he had been arrested, him and John. They bring forth this beautiful ministry. Look at verse 31 now. And when they had prayed, mark that down, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and they spoke the word of God with boldness, with boldness. Now, we don't know where they're at. Are they back in the upper room? It could be. Were they in another place, uh, one of the homes? We don't know. Uh, we don't know how many people are there. Back in the upper room, there was 120 there. Could this just be at a home gathering and just a handful of the disciples are there? We don't know. But when they prayed, the place was shaken. The Greek says the place was agitated. The, the place was moved back and forth somehow, some way. Was it an earthquake? I don't know the answer to that. Whether it was or not, it was a God thing. It was a God thing. Was it visible to others there in Jerusalem or just to Peter and John and the group of disciples there? I don't know the answer, but I can tell you this. Not only was it a God thing, but God showed up. The power of the Holy Spirit was there. And sometimes God uses these things in my life and your life. I don't like to walk by feelings because feelings will deceive you. Well, the last time I prayed, you know, I felt the back of my neck, uh, you know, the shivers, and uh, I got the goosebumps on my arm or whatever it might be. And that's happened. I know some of you have experienced that. And then you go the next time to pray, and you feel nothing. And so then you think, well, God's not here. Yes, he is. We believe by faith. You believe by faith. When you pray as a believer, for two or three are gathered in your name, he's there. And he said, well, you know, I, I couldn't get a hold of two other brothers or two other sisters. It was just me. Well, guess who was with you? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit where two or three are gathered in my name. And so you pray, you pray. And for the group that was there, the house is shaken. Uh, the house is agitated. It's moved back and forth. Uh, they obviously had a sign, and they knew that God had shown up. Notice that they were all filled now with the Holy Spirit. Again, these were part of Acts chapter 2. And you say, well, you know, I only prayed once for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, one thing we see, and you're going to see it as we continue uh, through the book of Acts. Believers are leaky vessels. We're leaky vessels. And so I have to be prayed for again. You have to be prayed for again. And don't be frustrated. Lord, fill me with the Spirit today. I'm getting ready to leave the house. Getting ready to go out there in that jungle. As Mark said, getting ready to go out there where ISIS says they've been here now. You need the power of God's spirit. God forbid, but uh, we go to the mall, what if something happens there? God forbid, would, <laughs> nothing serious has happened in one of our high schools, but could the time come? What about our theaters? Uh, we're living in a crazy world. Paul said, 
We're living in perilous times. The word perilous, dangerous times. You're a believer. You're a Christian. Don't leave house, your house without God. Don't leave your house without the power of God's spirit. Lord, lead me and guide me into all truth. And so they're filled now to overflowing as they were back in Acts chapter 2. And given this boldness, given the ability uh, to speak forth God's word. It doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues. But man, they brought forth the word of God. People are witnessing this lame man. They know him. God's testimony is, is just flourishing through Jerusalem. The religious sect is, is, is concerned. 5,000 up to this point, and it's going to grow. It's going to continue to grow. The effect of being filled with the Spirit is our next subject. The effect of being sold out as a believer in Christ. God does something in your heart. And I'd like to just pat you guys in the back for a second here. Our church is a giving church. Pretty much anything we ask you to pray about and ask you to partake of and ask you to support, you guys are there. That's the early church. Now, before we get into the text here, verses 32 uh, through 37, the caption in my Bible says, sharing all things. The early church sold their possessions. They gave it to the disciples the apostles to give it away. Was it the right thing to do? At this time, they, that's what they did. We're going to find later that the early church in Jerusalem was going broke. They needed finances. This is this group that they're going to be a part of. James will be the pastor of the Jerusalem church. We find Paul later, listen to this, Going to Gentiles that are Christian now takes up an offering. Paul brings it back to the Jerusalem church. A lot of them in the Jerusalem church were against the Gentiles. They need to be circumcised. They need to come to the temple. They need to uh, do the, the rituals, the rites, the customs, the tradition of the law. And they were coming by faith. When we get to Acts chapter uh, 10 at Cornelius's house, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Remember Peter? I, I, I don't eat ribs, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't eat pork chops. Because he saw a picture on a great sheet. Peter, would I have cleansed and put barbecue sauce on it? Go for it. It's yours to eat. Look at verse 32 now. Now, the multitude of those who believe, they're believers. We're of one heart, of one soul. This is that oneness. This is koinonia. This is fellowship. Neither did anyone uh, say that any of these things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Psalm 133 again. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, they were in one heart, one mind. What they had belonged to, belonged to all. Everything they had 
It's not mine. It's God's. God, you do what you want with it. The early church lived a communal type living. We're going to see that it did fail. Was it right? Was it wrong? When you do something that you sense that God is calling you to do, how can it be wrong? Your motive might have been right. Those that ripped you off, their motives could have been wrong. But you did it because you were obedient to the Lord. Now, concerning verse 32, in their unity, they regarded people more important than things. Listen to this. They regarded people more important than the things that they owned, basically. They had all things in common. They recognized God's ownership of everything. It, it belonged to God. Plus, it was to share with others. Because of the scripture, it says they had all things common. Now, I searched a lot of commentaries. Was this a form of communal living? Communal life, let's take it to our terminology, we would understand. Was this a form of communism? One commentary said this, uh, there is a contrast between communal living and communism and koinonia. Listen, communism, communal living is the same. Verse koinonia, fellowship. Communism says, now pay attention, communism says, what is yours is mine, I'll take it. Koinonia, or fellowship says, what is mine is yours, I will share it. There's the difference. The Greek here does not mean that everyone sold their property at once. Rather, from time to time, uh, this was done as the Lord brought need to their attention. Some think this is radical sharing of possessions among the early church, uh, that it was a good thing. Others will say it was a, a bad thing. Others would say it was a mistake. Now, I'm going to leave that in your hands. I believe if God speaks to you, you got to do what God says. Notice, they say it was based on the wrong idea that Jesus was returning immediately. This is why the early church acted this way. I don't know. And that it led to much poverty later. That was true. There was much poverty there in Jerusalem church later. But I believe they still did what God wanted them to do. Because later Paul replenishes it. He brings the money from uh, the rich Gentile nations to support. And they knew they were giving to the brothers in Jerusalem. And so the, the hearts of the Gentiles are touched. The hearts of the Gentiles are touched. Notice now, as we continue... The support of the Gentiles to the early church in Jerusalem was radical. In verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Notice the boldness now. The boldness to preach uh, and teach on the primary doctrine of the church. 
And that is still today, uh, the resurrection. If you've never studied 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul uses the format of the doctrine of the resurrection. And if there be no resurrection, remember what Paul said? We are all men and women most miserable. You come to church, no resurrection, it's futile. You give over your tithes, your offerings, there's no resurrection, it's, it's empty. And that's exactly what Paul said. But because Jesus rose from the dead, the church has never been the same. You see, there's been so many throughout history uh, that claim to be deity, claim to be God, but none have ever risen from the dead. Christ is the only one. Notice in verse 33 again, the boldness to preach uh, primarily the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the Lord blessed them. He blessed them with boldness to, to proclaim it, but then he blessed them with grace. Listen, unmerited favor. We deserve judgment, but he gives us grace. In verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. I like that. Uh, for all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and, and brought the proceeds from the things that were sold. The early church gave it away. That's the best I can put. As God led them. They saw the need and the spirit of God uh, said, sell or give. And they did. Remember, these are all believers now, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to write this verse down. It's a verse that's always floored me. In the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 35, listen to what it says here. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. You must support the poor. You must support the ones in need. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he said, and a lot of Christians don't like this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I told you about this lady that was part of our church, and she's a good lady, she's a good woman, good, a good Christian, but she liked to play with my head once in a while. And so there was a time when I was preaching and speaking about wives, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. She took an exacto knife out of an old Bible, and she cut that verse out. She told me, it's not in my Bible. I go, yes, it is. And she set me up. She says, look, here's my Bible. She cut it out. She did the same thing later. I used to tell her, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, no, it doesn't. Not in my Bible. She cut that one out. I go, you know what? God's going to put you in hell. You, you. I, I used to go round and round with her. I, she's a believer. She'd just like to get a hold of my goat. But what do you do with this? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, in the book of Acts, in chapter 20, this is where the verse comes from. Paul is giving his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, exhorting them, listen, with much love, compassion, to care for the poor. 
and the church at Ephesus was a strong church. One of the churches in Asia Minor, one of the seven churches, the first one, the letter was written to the church at Ephesus. After 40 years of service, they had left their first love. So Paul here, he cries when you go to uh, Acts chapter 20, he cries with the, the elders of Ephesus because he had such a relationship with them. Notice that they took their possessions. And in verse 35, it says, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. What was given, what was sold, what was laid there at the apostles' feet to give, to distribute to all the needs accordingly. Now, we'll see next week that a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. That's radical. Now, I believe that we all are to be givers somehow, some way. And that's between you and the Lord, husband and wife. That's between you and your, your, your spouse. Sit down, pray, see what the Lord leads. But you need to give to the Lord. Uh, let's finish this off. Look at verse 37. Having land, they sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Later, we know that, well, let's go back up to verse 36. Uh, Joseph was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated a son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. We'll find Barnabas later. I shouldn't have skipped that, but I was eager to get into verse 37. But Barnabas will be a strong part of the ministry. He'll be with Paul. But later, him and Paul get into it. And it's over John Mark. And later, Mark is the one that writes the gospel. Interesting how things God does. Unbelievable. And again, verse 37, having land, they sold it, brought the money, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. I love that. Now, I want you to flip back because I want to end with a positive note here. Uh, flip ahead, excuse me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Is it right, is it wrong what the early church did? And that is sold their possessions, even their lands, and they gave all the proceeds to the disciples, to the apostles, to distribute accordingly. In their hearts, they were doing the right thing. And yet, Paul later has to bring back the finances to the Jerusalem church. And because they need to take care of their people. It, it, Paul the Apostle brings it to the point. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 6. He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Never be pressured into it. Never. And don't give because there's a need. And sometimes needs are made possible. One of my good friends uh, that owns a church, or the, excuse me, has a church, and uh, they're a lot bigger than our church, and they got into a bind in their building project. And I mean... It was in the hundred thousands 
and it was tough. And he fought tooth and nail with the Lord. I can't. I can't. And God had told him, tell the people. Tell the people. And the result was they woke up. They woke up. They all wanted a good church. They all wanted a big building. But they forgot you got to pay for that. And so God moved on the hearts of the people. And, and they've caught it back up. They're doing great. And I, I tell you, he asked me, do you think I should go before the congregation? I says, that's not my call. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. But God loves a cheerful giver. And sometimes we need to be taught about that. And God, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, and this is a quote from Psalm 112, verse 9, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. All I can tell you is that Pastor Chuck has always taught that we are to give to the Lord accordingly. You know, the New Testament, I don't believe, is governed by a tenth percent like it was in the Old Testament. But I believe that a lot of people use the 10% as a guideline, and that's okay. But there's always those people that can't give. Remember the, the two ladies, the widow's mites, they gave two widow's mites. That's it. And a mite, a widow's mite, that's right. It's nothing, very insignificant, less than a penny. But they gave. They gave. And this is a tough message for me to give at the conclusion because then we're going to receive the offering. But if you know my heart and you know Calvary Chapel, Las Cruces, we're not about the finances. And we've seen God bless. And I've seen some of you, how God has blessed you. My wife and I, we're blessed. We're blessed. We love to support ministries. We love to support missions. And so we support missions here at Calvary Chapel. It's very important to me. Some of you know this, some of you don't. The tithes, the offerings that come into the church, we take 10% of that. We use it as a guideline. And we set it aside, and at the end of the month, we send out the checks to various missions. It's important to me. Pastor Chuck says, take care of the missions. Take care of the missions. And watch what God's going to do. And Pastor Chuck used to say, find missionaries that are doing the work of God, and you'll get back dividends. He's talking about spiritual dividends. And there's an old adage, there's an old saying, the more you give, God will give it back. And there's another old adage, an old saying, you can never outgive God. Give something. If it's a dollar, praise the Lord. Be a cheerful giver. That's what it's about. Let's stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the book of Acts chapter 4. We learned so much, Lord. As the early church suffered, as the early church began persecution, it began here with Peter and John. And Lord, they were giving away. They were selling. They were distributing. I don't know all the answers. But I do know 
that you replenish what they gave away later. And so, Father, speak to our hearts. Minister to our hearts. First of all, if there's anybody here that's never made a commitment to Christ, uh, today is the day of your salvation. Please do not leave here without accepting Christ if you've not. Uh, Pastor Cliff will be up here in the front. You can come up to him. You can pray and tell him, Pastor Cliff, I don't know Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus, or I need to rededicate that life. And Lord, we also want to pray for the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back. And so, Father, bless the offerings. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying, amen.